As you're being seated, find Genesis chapter 1, which should be one of the easier places to find in the Bible, right? Right there in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. So two weeks ago, I did an introduction to Genesis, and if you haven't heard that, want to go back and catch that, just kind of did a preview for the Old Testament and a preview for the book of Genesis, and today we're going to dive into chapter 1 and study God's Word here in Genesis, and we talked two weeks ago about how important it is because as the first book, uh, the beginnings, uh, it lays so much foundation for the rest of the scripture. I mean, really the first three chapters, the first 10, 12 chapters lay such a strong foundation for what we will see and believe throughout the rest of scripture and even how we believe today. So many issues that are issues in the world today are found in these early parts of Genesis, Right? like creation versus evolution. Um, we believe, as we just sang, right, that God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that. Do we think that? Do we hope that? Is it might, to us, maybe that's true? No. We believe, right, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, other issues we'll find here, um, gender. We believe, and it says in chapter 1, God created us man and woman, male and female. Marriage is discussed here. Sin, deception. As we move through Genesis, we'll see greed, murder, abuse, war, immorality, and oppression. So many things in this book are still alive and well today that we deal with in life. So it's so important. But overall, I want you to see this, that Genesis tells the story of a God who created everything from nothing that he might glorify himself. He created everything from nothing so that he might glorify himself. And the particular way he does that is by sending his son one day to be our savior. We talked two weeks ago about the foundational events. And the first one we're going to see is in chapters 1 and 2, the creation. Let me remind you before we dive into this and before we read the text. A very important truth. Genesis, or really the whole Bible was not written to answer every single question we might have. You'll read Genesis 1, and you're gonna, if you're thinking about it, so many questions could pop into your mind. And it wasn't written to answer every single detail, but it was written to give us the main thing we need to know. And that's what we're going to search for today. So, if you found Genesis 1, it'll be a little bit of a lengthy reading. I want to read it all together so that we can just hear, the, hear it, how it's written. We're going to read chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 3. Focus in, hang with me as we read God's word. And if you're there in chapter 1, verse 1, say word. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said... Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning 
for the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb, herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. I'm hoping after today I won't say the word firmament for a while. Uh, firmament, okay. Verse 16. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, every tree and the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. 
Let's dive into this sermon. I've entitled it God and Creation. So let's start with the first part, which is God. In the beginning, what's the next word? God created the heavens and the, and the earth. The word here in the Hebrew is Elohim. It's a common word used for God in the Old Testament. And this word is found, I, I think I read 2,500 to 3,000 times in the Old Testament. So thousands of usages for this word, a very common word for the name of God. Although there's nothing common about it, except that it's used often is what I mean. But it, it means he is the all-powerful God. It means he is infinite. He is creator, sustainer, and judge of the earth and the world. Elohim, um, I won't dive all into this today, but there's a, some plurality there in the language, which some take to talk about, to say that's the early mention of the Trinity, which we totally believe, right? The Trinity, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Some say the word Elohim in that plural tense is referring to the plurality of his glory and majesty and, and how amazing he is that all the words we can come up with can never fully describe how great he is. We know all, both those things are true about Elohim, God. As I look through this chapter we just read, I counted over 30 times God is mentioned. Genesis chapter 1 is not namely about creation, it's namely about the creator, about God. And that's something we need to remember, that the God of the Bible is the one true God, and he is the definitive supreme subject of Genesis and the entire Bible. And we really should think about it in a, even a grander scope than that. All of history is God's. You ever heard that uh, little quote, um, history is his story? You ever heard that? History is his story. God is the supreme being, the main character in the unfolding narrative, which is all of history. Now, as we go through Genesis, we're going to find so many lessons from, from Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, John, Peter, Paul. Like throughout the whole scripture, right, we learn about lessons from valuable people. We're going to learn and be inspired when we read Psalms and Proverbs and other portions of scripture. We're going to gain hope as we read various portions of scripture. But the main thing we need to remember in, in all of scripture is this. There is a God. He can be known, and we can know him if we know him through Jesus Christ. That's the main thing we need to see when we see Scripture. Do not stray from this thought as we read and study God's Word. And like our Sunday school class today, we're, we're talking about Genesis 1, and, and we kind of had some, we enjoy talking about dinosaurs and different things like that that might be related to the creation. But as we discuss those interesting topics, we must never stray from the main truth that God is in control, God is sovereign over all these questions we have, and God has given us what we need to know about everything in his word. It is sufficient. Do not stray from the fact that knowing God, a relationship with God through Christ, is more important than knowing all the details we, want, we wonder about when it comes to life or the world or the scripture. Listen to these texts. I'm going to give you a few here. Deuteronomy 4, 39 says, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath, there is no other. Listen to Isaiah chapter 40. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. We've already covered John 1, 
today. Look at the final part of this. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And speaking of Christ, Colossians 1 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, the scripture says that the universe is being held together by the power of God, by the voice of God. It's not just that he creates everything, but he sustains it, doesn't he? I heard someone pray this week, and they said, God, thank you for every next breath I get to take. Because who's in control of our next breath? Ultimately, he is, right? So seeing God as we ought to see him in Genesis 1 as the supreme subject is so important. Let's look at a couple things here. It, the first verse tells us a couple extra things about him. First, he is eternal, right? And when you look at Genesis 1-1, if you look there, um, where does it show that God started? Do you see it? You don't see it, do you? Where did God come from? Where did God begin? Why is it not there? Because he is eternal, right? He's always existed. And that's hard for us to understand, right? Because all of us have a time in the world where, like, we have a birthday, right? We know when we kind of came into existence. With God, he's the only one this way. He is eternal. Psalm 90, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is transcendent, which means beyond the range of normal human limitations, and he is infinite, meaning he is not limited by time or space. God is eternal. The second thing is he is creator. Um, we understand this, right? We understand when we look at things in this room, like this amazing pulpit here, we understand that this had a creator, right? Years ago, many, many years ago, someone took the supplies and the tools necessary and fashioned this, right? And then I don't even know how it was used over the years until Ben found it and refurbished it and put it here. And, but we look at this or this table or this building or a new church sign, which, by the way, they're working on. We've seen some um, the stuff they're working on with our new church sign. We understand when we look at things, they were created, right? And they, they were created from other things. But when Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, we have to know that word create is bara in the Hebrew, and it speaks to creating something from nothing. So God didn't take supplies and be like, all right, here's my supplies, put them all together, now I can make something. The Latin phrase is ex nihilio, which was used often in church history to mean from nothing. I was telling our Sunday school class, I heard a guy talk years ago about creation and evolution, and he said, here's how it happened. He said, all, he said, there was nothing, and all of a sudden, nothing began to spin around. And faster and faster that nothing spun, it finally exploded into a big bang, and it became creation. And I'm sitting there going, where did nothing come from, <laughs> and how did it start spinning around? But this is a person who doesn't believe in God. This is, you know, he's trying to think of his own ways. He's not a believer in Scripture. We believe God took nothing. And from nothing, only his eternal nature created all things. That's so clear in the scripture. I know we believe this, but look at a few more texts. Again, John 1, 3, all things were made through him. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Psalm 102, 25. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your 
when you read this first verse of Scripture, there's so much there. God is eternal. God is creator. God created from nothing, and he created a vast heaven and earth. Let's move to the second part. The first part is God. The second part is creation. And again, we're going to see God working through all this, of course. When I look at verse 2, I see that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. There's a very interesting theory here. I'll mention it in passing. Some people who like to say that the earth is millions or billions of years old believe in something called the gap theory. Some of you may have heard of that. And they believe that between verses 1 and 2, there was a span of time. It could have been millions of years. And that's where Satan fell and dinosaurs lived and all types of things happened that aged the earth. Um, I do not hold to the gap theory. I've read it multiple times. I just can't fit the gap in there. I can't fit the gap theory in there for multiple reasons. But um, I think this is just, I'd read this straight through. Um, it feels like a way for people to try to diminish what the word says and what God did. So, but I want to mention that to you in case you ever hear of the gap theory. But what I see in verse 2 is that God has, has this empty blank canvas to, in which to work. And then it says the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, which is so interesting to me because one truth about the Spirit of God throughout Scripture is that the Spirit gives life. That's a truth we find in, in, in Old and New Testament. The Spirit brings life. Psalm 104.30, he says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. We, we even understand that when we are born again, when we put our trust in Christ, right, that happens because God's spirit gives us life. We sang about it in a song this morning. Your spirit gives me life, opens up your word to me. If you are a Christian, it's only because you heard someone preach about Christ or talk about Christ or you read about Christ, and God's spirit gave you life. That's it. That's the only way you became a Christian. The spirit gives life. Job 33, 4 says, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So when I read verse 2, I picture that God has this blank canvas on which to work. The Spirit is there hovering. And to me, as I read the first two verses, it is this anticipation of what is God about to do? What's he about to make? So we're going to go through the days, and we're going to go through it pretty quickly here. But let's look at day one. God creates light. We know this very famously, and God said, let there be light, and then what? There was light. How did God create the light, church? How did he do it? Did God go through a, a great ordeal so that he could make light or not? How did he create it? Spoke it. Let there be light. I've already showed you multiple verses in the New Testament that says God created everything by the word of his power. We need to remember that, that our God is not like all these other false gods that has to do these many different things. Our God can just speak it into existence. And that's what he did. All things were made through him, John 1 says. And so every time, by the way, we read this, and I think you heard it earlier, every day we finish, it's going to say God saw it and saw that it was good. That starts here in this first section about, in this first day, day one. So when God said, let there be light, there was light. This reminds us that God's sovereign will is irresistible. So when God said, let there be light, did light have a choice or was it going to come on? Is light going to be like, nah, God, I'm good. I'll, I'll just stay over here. And I'll be dark. <laughs> he had no, light had, it's not a he, but you know what I'm saying. When God said, let there be light, there was light. God's sovereign will is irresistible. When God speaks something into existence, it will exist. 
When God speaks physical life for us, we will live. And when God speaks spiritual life into someone, they will come to know him. I love 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just as God said, Let there be light, and there was light in the dark void. When we're born again, God said, Let there be light, or he shines the light of the truth of the gospel into our hearts. We believe, and we are made his children. See that connection there. Something else I noticed, and I've I've heard this before, but I just want to reiterate it. There's light on the first day, but is there a sun, is there a moon, are there stars? Do you think God may have done that order on purpose? Because for us, we understand, right, that the sun out there is giving us light. At night, the moon gives us lesser light, but some light. You think God purposefully showed us by creating light before the sun? You think he showed us and said to us, I use means to accomplish things, different means, but I don't really have to. You think God is showing us that every single part of creation, every single day of creation It's not about the thing he created. It's about him getting the glory from the thing he created. And so throughout history, how many religions have worshipped the sun, right? The sun god. Or worshipped the moon or the stars or the planets or the heavens. And God shows us right here, I made all that stuff and I didn't even need it. Verse 4 says it was good, which means it served God's purpose. Again, we notice here the order and the structure of God's plan. And in verse 5, he called the light day. He named it. God is sovereign over names. I'm reminded of Genesis 17 when God came to Abram and said, you will no longer be called Abram, you'll be Abraham. God takes pleasure in naming things at times. And he did here when he said, the light is called day. Let's go to day two. This is in verses 6 through 8. This will be pretty quick here. He creates the sky and the water, or as I said earlier, the firmament. But the sky and the water, clouds. Um, I was thinking about flying on an airplane, as many of you have done before, right? You fly on a plane, you can be above the clouds or in the clouds. Or if you go to the mountains, right, you're just kind of there with the clouds. And just seeing, seeing what God has made in those types of views, whether it's a mountaintop or whether it's an airplane, you can look out and see the beauty of creation. We can even see it outside, maybe not today, but some days when you look and see the beauty of the clouds in the sky that God has made and recognizing these things were put there, the sky, the water, these things were put there by God for his purpose. Day three. I'll move quickly to a few of these. Day three is God creating the land and the vegetation. You can see that there in verses 9 through 13. Um, I'm reminded of Psalm 24, 1 here where it says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And God created these things in the order he desired. And here on day three, he made land and he made vegetation. Psalm 33, 6, again says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So in day four, we have, I'm sorry, day three, we have vegetation. If you look at 9 through 13, he talks about this vegetation growing. Some have made a comment here that 
is this stuff growing before the sun? And is that still God reminding us that all things are from him? One author said, God is the first cause and he is self-sufficient. He goes on to say, God acts through creatures, not as if he needed help, but because it was his good pleasure. I see this throughout this chapter, and it reminds me of a good application for all of us. Like, if you take nothing from today, and I hope you've already got something at least, but if you take nothing, take this part. And hear the point I'm trying to make. God does not need me. Right? He does not need you. Does he delight in saving us and using us for his glory? Absolutely, right? So he desires that we serve him and love him. And if you're called to preach or you're called to be a Christian and pray and help others and serve, yeah, he, he delights in those things. But God does not need me. I've known preachers that act like he did. <laughs> that, you know, if I quit, it's, it's going to be done. Like that would affect God's sovereign power. God does not need us. Listen, God in his wisdom and power and sovereignty, he does not need any particular nation. And that might kind of hurt our feelings a little bit because we're proud of our nation, and I I am. But if there was no America, God would be fine. Some nations have come and gone. God's been fine. And I hope there always is America, by the way. We are number one. It's the best. But you see my point. He doesn't need us. He doesn't, and this one hurts me to say too, he doesn't need a a particular politician to save us. I got my favorites, but you see my point? What does God need? Who does God need? Nothing. He is self-sufficient. And so we need to remember that in anything else we say, if we say God needs this, or God needs this person in office, or God needs this country to do this, or God needs me to do this, if we say it, and we, we might be diminishing some of his godness in our mind. Now, we can't actually diminish his godness. It, he is who he is. But in my own mind, I might, be, I might be exalting myself and bringing God down. But let me also say this. We are, though he is self-sufficient, We are blessed by his good pleasure, and God has given me and you, our nation, blessing after blessing in the course of history. Because let's face it, just talking about the nation for a second, could God not destroy our nation as he did Solomon and Gomorrah? So we are receiving and have received grace upon grace. We're blessed to have life, salvation. We're blessed to have freedom. We're blessed to have our family. We're blessed just to be Christians but we're not blessed because we're special or because we're worthy. We're blessed because of his good pleasure. James said, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. To him be the glory for every blessing we have. Day four. Day four, finally, God creates the sun, moon, and stars. The luminaries, as they're called. Again, I mentioned earlier, many people have deified the sun and moon and if you look in I know in my particular uh, translation I'm using here he doesn't even call them the sun and the moon I didn't even check some of the other translations Uh, he just says here the greater light which is referring to the sun because it gives off more light and the lesser light the moon also if you look at uh, the verse about stars it's like he just barely mentions them verse 16 it's like he it's almost in passing 
and God made the stars also. How many stars are there in existence? Innumerable? I mean, we can't number them. And it's almost like, you know, God's just like, here you go, infinity stars. I mean, it's almost in passing as he mentions the stars, as he talks here about the light, about the sun and the moon. By the way, where did the moon go? Where did the sun go? Where did the stars go? They went right where God told them to go. He is, again, imagine that. He is that powerful. He is that sovereign. He is that God. With these signs in verses 14 through 19, God has provided for us light. He's provided for us warmth. He's provided for us things that help vegetation. He's allowed for us to have days and seasons. And when I read these these verses in particular, I see the goodness of God and the blessings he's given us. Day five. In day five, one of my favorite days, God creates the fish and the fowl, the fish and the birds. Um, I just I like eating fish. I like catching fish when I get a chance. So I looked this up. There are over 33,000 known species of fish, over 10,000 different species of, of birds. So we can't even really imagine that, right? And that's not counting all the ones that have never been discovered. Um, I know Junior Michelle went snorkeling recently and was talking about the, how fun it was, how beautiful it was, and some of you have done that before, and just to see, to see nature in that sense. I know when Jesse and I went off the coast of San Francisco and she swam with, or went shark diving, I'd, I stayed in the boat, but the, the, the well, no chance I was getting out there. I was also drunk because I took a Dramamine pill, and it made me, like, crazy, so I survived it. It was a patch, a Dramamine patch. Remember that? Okay. But it was amazing to see creation. We're out there 20 miles off the coast, and it's just beautiful, right? And y'all have been to different places around the world, I'm sure, that's beautiful. And just to see that and think, I'm bound, I'm limited by this, right? When you put yourself on the ocean, it's, it's vast, right? And I'm just, I'm me. But think about this, the author of nature is in no way limited by it. God is powerful. And in creating things like sea creatures, it mentions here, whales, creating these amazing species, God gives us demonstration after demonstration of his power and of his creativity. Day six, verses 24 through 31, God creates animals slash humans animals and humans i'm not going to go deep into this part because i'm going to talk more about this next week but so much there's so much gained from a reading of verses 26 through 28 one of those things is human dignity which is one reason i think and even people who don't believe in god by the way some of these things still play a part in how they live and how laws were made, and how law is carried out sometimes, to see that we're made in the image of God. Again, we'll talk more about this next week, but we see the two genders. We see God gives man dominion and rule over the earth. We see God tells man to go and multiply, which our church is doing a good job of right now. If we're missing everything else out, we're doing pretty good on that right now. All right, so keep it going. And then after God makes man, again, I'll hit this again next week, but look at verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. 
He is done at this point. He is satisfied with what he has created. And he says, it is very good. Day seven. The first three verses of chapter three, I mean chapter two, we see God finishes all that he had done and he was so exhausted from his creating that he took a break. Okay, it's a sarcasm, right? <laughs> was he tired? Can God grow tired? Can God get weary? He can't. He doesn't. Now Christ, when he was on earth, right, he did. He napped and things like that. But God in creation, did he, did he rest because he was tired? No. We know that. We know that he did not. We know he didn't need a break. He did this, according to the other parts of Scripture, to set us a pattern for us to live after, right? And so, a standard or a pattern. And so later when we get to Exodus, we'll see this in the Ten Commandments or in the law. Yeah. Remember, as God gives this to his people, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so, as we read through the Old Testament, right, God's people would rest on the Sabbath day. It was a time of no work, right? Rest and reflection. Now, don't get this twisted. They were worshiping daily. There were still daily sacrifices going on. The worship was all every day, but the day of rest that God set aside was that seventh day, which today would be Saturday, right? Saturday. So, that's that Sabbath they would hold to. But when we come to the New Testament, we still see this, by the way. We still see people meeting on the Sabbath. We see people meeting at the synagogues in Jesus' day and in the Gospels to read Scripture, to hear the Scripture. Um, and it makes sense, right? What better time for everyone to get together and read Scripture than the day when everybody's off from work, right? Let's get together and worship. But how does that apply to us? Why do we meet together on the first day of the week and not the seventh? Are we breaking God's command by not meeting on the Sabbath day? The answer is no, right? Number one, we're not under the Mosaic law as those people were. But why do we worship on Sunday? Well, it's very interesting, and some people might be surprised to know this, that you know the Bible does not explicitly tell us a specific day of the week we're to worship. It doesn't tell us explicitly you must meet this day. But here's what did happen. Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. And he met with his disciples often, and it even mentions that sometimes it was the first day of the week. And the early church, who, by the way, in Acts, met together every day, they began to meet specifically, eventually, on the first day of the week as a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so for the last 2,000 years, churches that we would I guess, relate to, have set aside Sunday, the first day of the week, to meet together and celebrate Christ. That's why we do it. This, at least, this leads to so many side topics. I had a uh, Bible college teacher, and he, would, he was very in, uh, independent, fundamental, kind of Baptist, and 
he would preach to us in class, you better not do any work on Sunday. That's the Sabbath. I mean, I'm talking about don't go to restaurants because then you're making other people cook food, so you're making them work. Don't go to Walmart because some people are in there working, you're making them work. Don't cut your grass. Don't do this. Don't do that. But one Sunday afternoon, one of our classmates went by his house and saw him mowing the grass on Sunday. Busted. Busted. And the reason I bring that up is this. We don't live under those kind of laws. This day is set aside, though. Listen, it is set aside for us to worship and be with our church family. And I don't know about y'all, I try to take a rest. I hope to take one today. But if we have something to get done, we got to go get that thing done. And God's not holding us to that, that Sabbath day standard in that sense. But he did set a pattern, I believe, that it's good for us to take that day for worship and, if we can, for rest. Again, that's a whole chasing rabbit, I guess, there. But my main point on this is just to say to us, he, he set a pattern. The New Testament church gave us a pattern. And I'm preaching to the choir this morning. It is an invaluable part of our lives to meet with the church every first day of the week. And I would add also Wednesday night as well. But it is much needed for us to meet together on this day in keeping with the resurrection of Christ and celebrating him. And I think we would agree it's one of the most important things we can do as Christians. Meet together with our church family week after week after week. And all that's built on the foundation of God creating in six days and resting on the seventh. Let me give you my conclusion. We, if you're still with me this morning, if you're still paying attention, you may have more questions than answers. And again, maybe Wednesday night we can discuss some of these things. But what do we take from all this? What I want you to leave here with, and here are three things. First, God created all things and deserves all the glory. Let's not just move through life busy with our own stuff and forget to give praise to the one who deserves the praise. Let's not forget to pray the prayer that says, give us this day our daily bread, and we're thankful for that daily bread. Let's not forget to be thankful for our family, our friends, our jobs, even if you don't like it all the time. Let's not forget to be thankful to God who has given us all things. He created all things, and he deserves the glory. Number two, which is my favorite one. <laughs> Woo, okay, whoo. Blank. He is God, and we are not. When I read Genesis, and I read any part of the Bible, but Genesis 1 especially, he is God, and we are not, and we need to act like it. We need to remember it, right? He's in control. He is sovereign. He is guiding our lives through the ups and the downs. He's working all things together for our good according to his will. He is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. These are things the scripture says about God. He is God, we are not. And we need to act like that. Which means to give him the glory, to give him the praise, to worship him as he sees fit, to learn from his word that we might live out his word. And just to know we can have that relationship with him through Christ. Number three, I hope. See him working in all of scripture, in all of history, and in all of your life.
That's kind of my main takeaway from Genesis 1 this time. I think every time you read Genesis 1, you might take away something else. But my takeaway is seeing how God worked in the creation of all things. May I please, God, this is my, I prayed this one time this week, may I please see you working in my life. And I don't mean that he's not working. I mean he is working, and sometimes I don't see it because I may be focused on what I have to get done or my own stuff. May my eyes be opened to see what God is doing in my life, that I might trust him more, love him more, and serve him better. And so I pray that for you as well. And if God is able to take nothing and create all of existence, what in your life is too difficult that God cannot do, if it be his will? If God can send his only son to die for your sins, that you might have eternal life, if he can save a sinner's soul, then what else in your life can God not do if it's his will? Nothing. Let's see the God of, crea- of creation. Let's see the eternal creator. And today, let's worship him. Let's pray.